Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Buying more goods than ever, and a lot of those goods come through our ports. 40% of the goods that come into the country on the West Coast come through two ports, Los Angeles and Long Beach. To help relieve congestion, I brought together labor and management and asked them to step up and cooperate more, to move forward in operating those ports, not five days a week, 40 hours a week, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week, by adding more shifts at night and on the weekends. Then we had to make sure that people could transport those goods from the ports to stores and homes across the country. This is happening live right We've now, guys. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Well. Tony Katz today, President Biden talking about Omicron, or Omicron, and supply chains. So we're going to let him keep talking. I will comment on it. Let's bring it back to President Biden. Truck drivers come on the port, come into the port to pick up the containers if they do it at night or on the weekends when roads are less congested. Working with my administration, a major ocean carrier, the fourth largest in the world, announced on Monday a new $100 discount when containers are picked up quickly, with larger discounts for nighttime and weekend pickups. And we announced this week that we're extending through February extra flexibility that allows truckers to drive more hours when they're transporting critical goods like gas, food, and medical supplies. Paired with uh, these important safety measures, all of them are going to help move goods more quickly and, uh, um, and, and get products that people want onto the shelves all across the country. Over the last month, the number of containers left sitting on docks blocking movement to those stores uh, is over, was for over eight days. Now it's down. It's down by 40 percent, which means they're heading to shelves and stores more quickly. That's an incredible success story. The ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach have moved 16% more containers so far this year than last year. By working with business and labor, my administration has been able to handle the huge surge in goods moving through some of our biggest ports. And that's translated into shelves across our country being well stocked. You don't have to take my word for it. On Monday, I convened a group of CEOs from some of the largest retailers and grocery stores in the nation as well as companies who work with small businesses across America, including the CEO of Walmart, as I mentioned, along with Best Buy, CVS, Samsung, Mattel, Etsy, and QVC. My administration has been working with many of the CEOs and others to keep these goods moving through our supply chain to ensure the shelves are stocked heading into the holiday season. The CEOs I met with this week reported that their inventories are up Shelves are well-stocked, and they're ready to meet the consumer demand for the holidays. The CEO of, of Etsy rep represents over 5 million small businesses and entrepreneurs. He told me, and I quote, our savory data says there are less they're less concerned about supply chain challenges this year than they were last year, end of quote. I've also spoken with the CEOs of UPS and FedEx, which are on track to deliver more packages than ever. Now, I can't promise that every person will get every gift they want on time. Only Santa Claus can keep that promise. But there are items every year that sell out that are hard to find. Some of you moms and dads may remember Cabbage Patch Kids back in the 80s or Beanie Babies in the 90s or other toys that have run out at Christmas time in past years when there was no supply chain problem. But we're heading into a holiday season on very strong shape.
It's not because of luck. We averted a potential crisis by figuring out what needed to get fixed, and then we brought people together to do the hard work of fixing it. That's exactly what we're doing with the second concern I want to talk about today, prices. Here are a few things you should know. Just about every country in the world is grappling with higher prices right now as they recover from the pandemic. In the United Kingdom, price increases have hit a 10-year high. In Germany, a 28-year high. In Canada, price increases are the highest they've been since the 90s. This is a worldwide challenge, a natural byproduct of a world economy shut down by the pandemic as it comes back to life. Prices are still out of sync, excuse me, prices are still out of sync as the world comes back. But as we continue to overcome these obstacles, the more price pressures will ease. But I have not been content to sit back and wait. I've used every tool available to address the price increases, and it's working. Take gas prices. Last week, I announced the largest ever release from the United States Strategic Petroleum Reserve to increase the supply of oil and help bring down prices. I brought together other nations to continue and contribute to this solution. India, Japan, the Republic of Korea, the United Kingdom all joined us. They all agreed to release additional oil from the reserves, and China may be doing so as well. This worldwide effort we're leading will not solve the problem of high gas prices overnight, but it has been making a difference. Over the last month, likely due in part to the anticipation of this action, we've seen the price of oil and gasoline on the wholesale markets come down significantly. In fact, since the end of October, the average weekly price of gasoline in the wholesale market has fallen by about 10%. That's a drop of 25 cents per gallon. Those savings should reach the American people very soon, and it can't happen fast enough. And I've asked the Federal Trade Commission to consider whether potentially illegal and anti-competitive behavior in the oil and gas industry is causing higher prices to be maintained for consumers when the overall cost of oil is down. We can also ensure that American people are paying a fair price for gas. So let's take a step back and take stock of where our economy is. Wages are up. Thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we've delivered significant tax cuts for families raising kids. Tax cuts and rising wages for middle-class families mean the Americans, on average, have about $100 more in their pockets every month. I'm going to break this down than they did last year. But I'm here to tell you, this is a hard sell to try and convince you that the, the economy is just fine. You shouldn't have to sell it. You would know it. He's trying to sell it, and he hasn't stopped. I'll let him finish up, and then I'll, I'll comment more on what President Biden is saying about supply chain and the economy. In fact, we're the only leading economy in the world where household income and the economy as a whole are stronger than they were before the pandemic. You know, there are other signs of strength, too. The number of small businesses up by 30 percent compared to before the pandemic. Thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we've cut child poverty in America by more than 40 percent. Think about that. Millions of ch children who spent last Christmas in poverty will not bear that burden this holiday season. And the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, described it yesterday that it is, quote, a profound economic and moral victory for our country, end of quote. Since I took office, we've had a record job creation, 5.6 million new jobs since January 20th of this year. The unemployment rate has fallen to 4.6%. 
we're seeing more new small businesses, higher wages, and more disposable income, fewer children in poverty, fewer people getting unemployment checks. None of this was inevitable. It was because of the American Rescue Plan, which virtually every Democrat in Congress voted for and every Republican voted against. It was because of the hard work my administration has done to try to solve the challenges in our economy instead of just pointing fingers and complaining. Now, now it's time to build on our success and cut costs further for families. That's what my Build Back Better plan does. It will lower out-of-pocket costs for child care, elder care, housing, college, health care, and prescription drugs. These are the biggest costs that most families face. In fact, a new independent analysis released today showed that my Build Back Better plan would mean $7,400 in tax cuts and savings for the typical family with four kids, excuse me, the typical family of four with two kids. 17 Nobel laureate winners in the Nobel economic winners have written a letter affirming that this bill will reduce inflationary pressure in the economy. Two of the leading rating agencies in Wall Street confirmed this month that my plan will not, will not add to inflationary pressures. In fact, they will, quote, take the edge off of inflation. Now my Republican friends are talking a lot about prices, but they're lined up against my Build Back Better plan, which would go right at the problem for rising costs for families. Why is that? I don't want to speculate on anyone's motive, but it's always easier to complain about a problem than to try to fix it. One Republican senator even said that rising prices were, quote, a goldmine, end of quote, for Republicans politically. Imagine rooting for a higher cost for American families just to score a few political points. The fact is the Build Back Better plan is fiscally responsible. It's the first major piece of legislation in more than a decade that is not only fully paid for, but will generate more than $100 billion in deficit reduction. It fully covers the cost of its investments by making the largest corporations and the richest Americans pay a little more in taxes. Think about that. Is that a trade-off worth making, in my view? Having those who have done very well pay their fair share in order to provide a little breathing room for millions of American families. But my critics don't seem to agree. They have a lot of speeches about high prices, supply chain, and other challenges we're facing, but they don't ha offer any answers. So they're just doing the no vote. That's their plan, vote no. But what does that mean? What does a no vote mean on this bill? Not on cable news, not on Fox, not in the real, in the real world, in your life, around your kitchen table. Well, here's what it's gonna mean. It means for millions of American families, this bill your, your, that the bills you're paying right now for daycare could be substantially lowered, capped at 7% of your income. But Republicans said, no, pay more. It means the bills you're paying right now to take care of your elderly parent could have been lower, a lot lower. But Republicans said, no, don't vote for this bill, pay more. It means the cost of your prescription drugs could have been lower, a lot lower. Republicans think that those 200,000 children, for example, who need regular doses of insulin should continue to pay as much as $1,000 a month instead of $35 a month. Think of that. 
not only affects the health of the child and the family, but imagine you're being a parent and not being able to afford $1,000 a month. Not only risks the health of your child, but it robs you of your dignity. The list goes on, but the point's the same. What I propose is a way to lower some of the most difficult costs families have to pay every month by asking big corporations, 40 of the Fortune 500 companies paid zero in taxes, making $40 billion in the process, and the wealthiest Americans pay their fair share in taxes. Look, remember, we're in a situation, as far as Republicans are concerned, they'd rather the bills at your kitchen table be higher so the tax bills of corporate conference rooms and big mansions can be lower. In this case, let me tell you something. Nothing will be more expensive for American families than a no vote on the Build Back Better plan. I believe we simply can't afford to do nothing and wait and see what happens. In the moments we face today, that just isn't a responsible course. We live in uncertain times. Families are anxious about COVID, the economy, the cost of living. And the way to relieve that anxiety is with consistent, determined, focused action. I started my presidency with the American Rescue Plan. Now that law is carrying our nation forward on vaccinations, boosters, keeping our schools open, and so much more. I designed it as a year-long plan because I knew we'd have a lot of obstacles to overcome. Next, we passed the bipartisan infrastructure law because a lot of our infrastructure is crumbling. After so we now go through a laundry list of things that were done that haven't in any way affected you, me, and we. It doesn't matter that they passed infrastructure. We're still a couple years out from feeling uh, those dollars, but those dollars are certainly not going to help. When we talk about inflation and other things, which we know now is not transitory, it's going to last well into 2022. But I got to tell you, it's really, really weird to hear a guy try and sell his accomplishments by claiming the Republicans are voting no, the Republicans are voting against Build Back Better, the Republicans are your problem, and not mention Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. It's a very strange thing to hear a guy go through this laundry list, but you're hearing it, and you know what you hear? What I hear. Man, he is having trouble getting the words out. He is stammering, and he's slurring, and this is bad. If you saw him, it's worse. The people who have often talked about this as elder abuse, congratulations. Today you have your argument. Look at him, producer Ari. Does he look okay to you? Does he look healthy? Does he look strong? Does he look cogent? No. Does he look like he's going to pass out at any second? Listen, bring back up his voice. Listen to him. Economy, if we continue to slide. You're One not of the wrong. reasons I believe so firmly I'm no in kidding, this I'm not wrong. is because I, like I know what this country oh, can well, be. You're going to have to toughen up. We've always been a nation <laughs> because I don't like what he's saying, certainly. We didn't but the people around him who allow this, we're going to act like this is normal? I think people who are older can do many, many things. And many have great minds, and many are still sharp. And it wouldn't even bother me if he was just a little slower in the speech. I am discussing the idea of pretending all is well when it's not. Because this, in my view, is not. I can't diagnose the dude. I don't know if there's a... People like to talk about, oh, he's got dementia. I can't tell you that. How would I know? I can tell you I listened to this speech. I can tell you we all did. He don't sound okay. 
Oh, and he's still trying to sell something that isn't the problem of Republicans. This is in the Senate. This is Democrats from beginning to end. And oh my gosh, he's taking a question. Hold on, put it up. Well, look, um, you know me, I'm an optimist. Um, what we have seen so far does not guarantee that's the outcome. As a matter of fact, we're going to know in the next several weeks that just not only how transmissible the disease is, but how extensive it is, how dangerous it is, and what damage it does, and most importantly, whether the vaccines we have are capable of dealing with this virus, particularly if the boosters we're trying to get everyone to get. So I, th I think the jury's still out. I think it's a little early to make that judgment. But am I concerned? Of course I am, until we get the final answers. I'll take a couple more questions. Yes. Mr. President, what is your reaction? The Supreme Court heard that uh, abortion be today and the justices signaled that they are on the verge of major changes to abortion law in the United States. Do you have any plans to First of all, I haven't, uh, I, I didn't see any of the debate today, uh, the, just the presentation today. And uh, I support Roe v. Wade. I think it's a rational position to take. And, uh, and I continue to support it. Mr. President, Mr. President, Mr. President, Mr. President thank you so much. Um, there are a number of presidents, from Jimmy Carter to Richard Nixon, who really tried to impact inflation and supply chains and weren't able to, to largely do that. How confident are you that you have the tools? More of the questions. I promise to bring them to you. I can't believe he's taking questions. Stunned. He's already leaning on his podium. I'm Tony Katz. President Biden has had a series of losses, major league losses in the courts. How is that? And they've all been on the mandate. One way or another, everything he has wanted to push forward hasn't come to be. The courts are now the place we go to get our freedoms. I know you're supposed to be able to rely on the courts, but the courts have been reliably leftist. So what's the difference? I am going to review Biden's press conference right there. Holy mackerel. Trying to sell Build Back Better. Hard sell. Then talking about dumping 50 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve into the market's lower gas prices. That's three days of oil and not just gas. Three days of oil in America. Meanwhile, these losses have been big. Phil Kirpin's going to break it down. Oh, and uh, uh, Chris Cuomo. That story's coming up. I'm Tony Katz. push for mandates and we have watched president biden lose i mean a lot losing in the fifth circuit losing with other judges did they not think that just because they say it uh, there might be a people who'd be like yeah you don't have that authority Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. 833-468-8669. Phil Kirpin joins us right now. He is the mind behind AmericanCommitment.org. Uh, That's where you find Phil Kirpin right there. And he has been taking a look at 
exactly all the places where Joe Biden has failed. And the question is, exactly why have these mandates not been able to pass muster in courts all across the nation? Phil Kirpin joins us right now, AmericanCommitment.org. If I said .com earlier, I apologize. AmericanCommitment.org, uh, and you can learn more there about the contractor vax mandate, which seems to be one of the many that the courts have said, uh, let's not do this. Talk to me about what these courts have been saying about these mandates. Well, uh, first of all, Tony, great to be with you again. Uh, the contractor mandate uh, lost the case yesterday in uh, in Kentucky, Eastern District of Kentucky. Uh, but the, the, the judge there who issued the injunction only issued it for the plaintiff states. And so that one has only been blocked for now in the three plaintiff states in that case, which were Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. And so the contractor one is still barreling down in all, most of the country. We have national injunctions in place on both the OSHA mandate, which is the broadest one that applies to any company uh, with 100 employees or more, and the CMS mandate, which is the one that applies to healthcare providers. Those have both been uh, enjoined nationally, uh, but the contractor one is still barreling down uh, in 47 states at the moment. Now, the contractor one that says if you, if you work in an industry or if you work for a business that has a contract with the federal government, in order to keep that contract, you have to get vaccinated. Uh, in, in that society, how, what is the percentage of workers, if you know the number, that have said, nah, I'm not doing it. I'd rather lose my job. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, I don't know that we necessarily have uh, percentages, and it probably varies a lot by company, but, you know, we do know that the major defense contractors have all said that they're going to lose thousands of mission-critical people. And, of course, you know, the contractor mandate goes beyond the defense sector because, you know, every, every sector does business with the federal government, so it has reaches into all kinds of different parts of the economy. Uh, but I think that where there's real urgency is, is that defense sector. Uh, Raytheon, I know, said they're going to lose thousands of mission-critical people. There's a big protest outside of GE of uh, employees that are going to leave rather than take the vaccine. And so, you know, on some level, it's not even about whether you think the mandates are a good idea or a bad idea in terms of whether you think everyone should have to get vaccinated. It's just a practical issue. You know, do you want to let, you know, thousands of people lose their jobs over this uh, with the consequences for the economy, for national security and so forth? And so, uh, you know, I would have said before yesterday that the healthcare sector was probably the most urgent because we had a lot of healthcare facilities that were going to lose, you know, 20%, 30% of their employees in some uh, places for the moment, at least. That one is on hold nationally, uh, but the contractor one is still barreling down towards the January 4th effective date. So that's, that could create a lot of upheaval if, uh, if there's no relief before that. Talking to Phil Kirpin of AmericanCommitment.org, uh, uh, these can only be seen as big losses for the Biden administration. Big, giant losses in, in every way, shape, or form. Uh, the question is, at what moment does the Biden administration learn that this isn't going to work and that there are judges out there who can clearly see that the, the authority of, of the presidency, of the executive branch, has limits? Well, look, I mean, I think all these cases are going to be decided um, more than likely at the Supreme Court or at least, you know, one or two, which will kind of be the direction that they all end up going in. Um, so, you know, they, I don't think they're going to give up until they have no truth, until they've lost, until they've exhausted all of their appeals. 
and so forth. But, you know, the other thing that's interesting to me, Tony, is, well, they've had these legal setbacks on three of their five mandates. They're, they're five mandates, the three we've talked about, OSHA, CMS, and contractor. And then the other two are government employees and military. And those have not had uh, any court victories and the challenges against them yet, those other two for government employees and military. But they've also slipped a little bit. The, uh, the Biden administration has eased off a little bit on both of those two as well. They've said they're not going to fire any government employees over not getting vaccinated this year. Now, I know there's only a month left in the year, so that's not necessarily great comfort for those for people who you know, are at risk of getting fired. But it still is a significant slippage. They don't want stories about it before the holidays, before Christmas, people getting fired over this. And the military, you know, the different branches all have slightly different approaches on this. But they've all said something like, you know, we're not going to discharge you right away. We're going to prohibit promotions and we're going to we're going to counsel you, all this kind of stuff. So they've not gone to the mass discharges that just a few weeks ago they said they were going to, at least not yet. And so I think there's a, a an increasing sort of concern in the Biden administration that all of these mandates are sort of generating more backlash maybe than they're worth. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think we might continue to see effective dates punted or slippage on things like even the contractor, Tony, you know, the original version of the contractor one said that your contract would be terminated. You wouldn't be eligible for any additional contracts if you had any employees who weren't vaccinated. They changed that to you need to discipline unvaccinated employees consistent with your employment manual. Well, that's a lot less clear than you got to fire them all. And so I, I think that all of this stuff is slipping because they became enamored with this polling that they see, they would ask people, do you think man, do you think vaccines should be required? And people would say yes. And so they got these big polling numbers. They said, oh, this is popular. But I think what they've discovered is that if you then ask people, well, but do you think people should be fired if they choose not to get a vaccine? People say, oh, no, no, I don't think they should be fired. And so I think that when it actually comes to people losing their jobs, hospitals being understaffed, uh, defense contractors being understaffed, it, it changes the way people think about it, and uh, that's why these mandates are becoming unpopular. And the fact that they've they've been, uh, you know, found to be illegal in so many of these early decisions, uh, I think just adds to the problems for the administration on all the mandates. Uh, it, it very much, I get I get that whole Syria red line kind of feel. We're going to draw this line in the sand. Don't go past this line. And of course, they're you know immediately it's it's toes over uh, over the sand. Uh, but the the push to getting businesses to do this even without mandates in place that pressure uh, is where they've had the most success and and of course I stand opposed to the small businesses engaged in mandates although I do believe they have the right uh, to do it it's their business they can make decisions and you can decide whether to work there or not let's now move it over to where they want to go now and you heard the stories that they're discussing the idea of mandates for for air travel that you have to be vaccinated or you'd have to be boosted, test, things like this. You follow the numbers. Not a doctor, but you follow the numbers very well. My question, when I when I wrote your earlier today, went as follows. Do you have any data on those who have taken boosters and those who have gotten COVID and survived COVID? Meaning, is, do we have proof, data, that shows that the booster actually either prevents COVID or lessens the degree of the symptoms that is quantifiable by an amount of time, amount of days or amount of weeks? You know, we really don't have a great answer to that yet. We know that the, uh, we know that after the original two shots, you've got basically, you got a couple of weeks that you're, 
very vulnerable, and that's why they don't consider you fully vaccinated until two weeks have passed. Then you've got probably three to five months where you have a very high level of protection. You're unlikely to get infected at all. Uh, and then it wanes pretty dramatically after that. And that's why we've seen so many vaccinated people in the last couple of months that are getting COVID. We, we, have, we know that when you get the booster, it's the same kind of thing. You're probably more vulnerable for a week or two while your immune system reacts to it. Then you probably have, you know, at least a few months, we have a very, very high level of protection. And we do have a couple of studies now that show that it bounces back up to, you know, that 90, 95% protection, like the first few months after the original doses. Uh, the question is, does it stay like that longer after the third dose or does it wane kind of in a similar time frame? And we do not know the answer to that yet because we're not we're not far enough into the rolled out on a on kind of a mass uh, population level. The first place we'll get answers to that will be Israel because they were the first country to really do a big booster campaign. So that's the data to watch. Uh, and I think we're really going to sort of learn over the next couple of months, uh, you know, whether it lasts longer than the first two shots. But I don't think we really know the answer to that. Yet we continue to push this as if somehow it's a panacea or it's the most necessary thing in in the world, which leads us to as we're watching Omicron, or is it Omicron? I've, I've heard it pronounced both ways. I'll leave it to the Greeks. Uh, and we've seen the reaction to this. It, it seems like it's just this, uh, hey, here's a great opportunity for us to force boosters down people's throats as opposed to showing that boosters have an efficacy. Uh, 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 my data, what I've reviewed on, on uh, Omicron, uh, simply says, yeah, it's a variant. Yeah, it has many more mutations. There's no more illness that you get. It's extremely mild. It's just another variant in a sea of variants. What have you seen? Well, that certainly is what the, uh, what the medical establishment in South Africa is saying, and they're pretty angry that the rest of the world is uh, sort of punishing them for discovering this rather than praising their work. Uh, and I, I don't think they got the reaction they expected. Uh, you know, we, we unfortunately, we still need to wait another week or so before I think we'll have a good sense of kind of what the hospitalization rate is with this. And, you know, everyone wants to react quickly. And, you know, the danger, of course, is that you overreact or cause a panic. Uh, but, you know, there's a look, there's a possibility that it's going to end up being, you know, causing severe disease in vulnerable populations. So obviously, the early cases were exceptionally mild, and that's very encouraging, but they were mostly in younger people. And so there's this question, you know, as it gets into older people, is it going to be milder than the previous variants or similar, or is it going to be worse? I don't think we have a great answer to that yet, Tony, although I think it's interesting that, you know, there are up to 50 or 100 cases in Europe and zero severe. And so... That's pretty interesting. And so we'll continue to watch it over the next week or two. I will say this. You know, I think that there's an, there's an optimistic case, an um, optimistic outlook for what Omicron means. Uh, and it's possible, we don't know yet, but it's possible that this will be the variant we've been waiting for, the one that's sort of the exit variant from this whole thing that's super transmissible enough to displace Delta and become the dominant one, but is mild enough not to cause a lot of severe disease. And if that's what this is, yeah, that would be a godsend. But, you know, we don't know yet. And, you know, it might be another bad one ultimately. But, you know, we until we have the data one way or another, I think it's very premature to have any kind of panic reaction. Phil Kirpin, AmericanCommitment.org. Follow him on Twitter at Kirpin, K-E-R-P-E-N. Phil, always a pleasure. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz.
And you knew it wouldn't last forever. Literally breaking right now. The first case of Omicron. Omicron. Omicron? Uh, it has been found right here in the United States of America. Where in the world is my... I, I had an alarm system. I, ha I had a whole alarm thing ready to go. I can't, I can't find it. Oh, it's too bad. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. That's, that's, not, a, that's not an alarm. Maybe this Population. is. No, that's not it. That, that's, that's not it. Right now, uh, Jen Psaki, she's the White House Press Secretary. She's going to speak. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci is joining but they have found Omicron right here in the U.S., in California. That's the variant. We'll give it now uh, over, and you'll hear from Dr. Fauci. We'll hear what he has to say about it. Thank you very much, Jen. So, as some of you may have heard, the, the California and San Francisco Departments of Public Health and the CDC have confirmed that a recent case of COVID-19 among an individual in California was caused by the Omicron variant. Genomic sequencing was conducted at the University of California at San Francisco, and the sequence was confirmed at the CDC as being consistent with the Omicron variant. So I know there are a lot of questions, but here's what we know right now. The individual was a traveler who returned from South Africa on November the 22nd and tested positive on November the 29th. The individual is self-quarantining, and all close contacts have been contacted, and all close contacts thus far have tested negative. The individual was fully vaccinated and experienced mild symptoms, which are improving at this point. So this is the first confirmed case of COVID-19 caused by the Omicron variant detected in the United States. And as all of you know, because we've been discussing this, this, we knew that it was just a matter of time before the first case of Omicron would be detected in the United States. And as you know, we know, I've been saying it, and my colleagues on the medical team and others have been saying it, we know what we need to do to protect people. Get vaccinated if you're not already vaccinated. Get boosted if you've been vaccinated for more than six months with an mRNA or two months with J&J. &J. And all the other things we've been talking about, about getting your children vaccinated, masking in indoor congregate settings, Etc. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on people. Go ahead, Dick. Um, at this point, uh, should Americans be changing anything they do in their day-to-day -day lives? Are you changing what you do as president no. change what he does? No, that's, that's a, a good question and an obvious question. But if you look at the things that we have been recommending, they're just the same. I mean, we want to keep doing that and make sure we pay close attention to that. Well, it's rational. You don't need to change anything. And no one's going to listen to this. People are going to absolutely freak out. Don't. We know this is coming. We know this is here. We are the ones who have been rational enough to realize that COVID is with us for the rest of our days and our kids' days and our grandkids' days. That's the way it is. There is nothing we know about Omicron. At this moment... That makes us think that it is worse, that it is more dangerous. And something Phil Kirpin said, uh, that, that is true. The, the South Africans took it on the chin for being honest. And there's a story, there is a reporting that this was actually found in Europe. And the Europeans, although I don't know which nation it was, said nothing. 
because they didn't want to say, ooh, it comes from us. South Africa said, hey, we see this thing. And they studied and said it's not so bad. And hopefully it continues to stay just that way. The first case of Omicron confirmed in California. And now, of course, what you need is a travel ban on California. I shut down all travel to San Francisco and Los Angeles, but still allow it to your Belinda. No? No? Come on, a good rush reference? How dare you people. Chris Cuomo doesn't have a job for now, and we'll get to more of this press conference with Jen Psaki and Fauci if they say anything insane. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today.